I was recently called out for not having enough women on the podcast, and it's a very fair criticism. Out of the last 34 interviews that I have done this year, only two have been with women. So today, we're going to talk about diversity and data. So stay tuned. Welcome back to another Future Tech video podcast. The audio version of the podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and most of the others, or you can find it at futr.buzzsprout.com. Women are underrepresented in technology, and it can be a very difficult career path for women and for other underrepresented groups. Today, we're going to be talking about diversity, equity, and inclusion in technology and how that impacts the things that we build. And at the center of all that is data. And while this stuff isn't rocket science, today we've gone ahead and actually found us a rocket scientist to help us understand all of this. Dr. Colleen Tarto has a PhD in astrophysics and is the director of engineering at Starburst Data, which provides a storage-free data access solution that allows people to access data where it lives. Welcome, Colleen. Thank you. It's great to be here. Thanks so much for coming. Um, uh, you know, I just wanted to start off by just getting a little bit of a background about Starburst data and, and you know, what where it all started and how it started and what, what were the founders of the company thinking? Yeah. Um, so our founders, uh, led by Justin Borgman, who's our CEO, and our VP of product, Matt Fuller, uh, they, you know, to speak for them, they had a vision to allow customers to perform fast and secure analytics across any data, no matter where it lived. So really analytics anywhere, that's our tagline. And our core product, Starburst Enterprise, is based on the popular open source project, Presto, um, which was largely created by folks who work at Starburst. Um, and it's now been renamed to Trino. So yeah. just to confuse things, but we call it Starburst <laughs> Enterprise. Um, and that was created at Facebook to solve the data and scalability challenges that are seen with these just massive quantities of data that you get at places like Facebook. And since then, Trino itself has gained viral adoption. Everybody uses it and it's used everywhere. It's used at Netflix, LinkedIn, Twitter, anyone with massive quantities of data. So um, the company was launched in 2017, Starburst Enterprise was launched on AWS in 2018. And since then, we've launched on GCP, Azure, and of course, we support Kubernetes. So we're really everywhere. That's that's awesome. Now, in talking with the, the folks at your company, I, I mean, it's it's a it's an interesting culture. I think you guys um, are fostering, um, a, 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 at least you're, you're, you're fostering a conversation around, you know, diversity, equity, and inclusion there. And I, and I think you, you definitely have some people who are out there, um, you know, writing about this and speaking about this. And, and I think that's a really cool thing. And I, um, you know, we're, we're a big fan of like B Corps, um, you know, in general, like socially responsible corporations and things like that. And while you're not that, um, yet, um, Not yet. <laughs> I, I think it's, I think it's, I think you guys are, are, are doing a lot of cool things on that front. So I wondered if you could maybe speak a little bit to sort of the culture of your company. Absolutely. Um, so we, our last valuation was 1.2 billion. So we're technically a unicorn, but we like to call ourselves Clydesdales. We are workhorses. <laughs> um, we work hard. Doesn't mean we don't have fun too. We love our jobs, but, uh, culturally, you know, our culture is built around, hard work. And those who work hard and do good work get rewarded. And so when I arrived at the company, meritocracy was listed as one of the core uh, core values of the company. And I had a great few talks with our CEO about that because I said, you know, meritocracy is great, but it also assumes that everybody comes in the door from the same playing field and has the same chances. And mm -hmm. so we had some really excellent conversations around that. And he and I actually co-wrote a blog talking about how we like the ideal of a meritocracy, but we recognize that that's ignoring certain challenges that a lot of people have. And right. so we changed the core value actually to an inclusive meritocracy. 
So the idea is that we still hold that ideal close to our hearts, but we also want to provide an environment where everyone can be judged on the base of their hard work and who can find a way to thrive in our culture. Yeah, I mean, and, and everybody's inclu- everybody's uh, contribution can have value in different mm-hmm. ways, right? Yeah. And and the, and I think the thing that's interesting about when you start having these kinds of conversations is that the contribution isn't always immediately recognized. You know, one of the things I mentioned in, in the introduction was that um, it, it's th- without the appropriate representation of, of different groups of people, it, it, you know, there's there's a bias in the way we build things. And we're building things, you know, mm-hmm. at scale for, for, for the world at large. But because there's not, the, we don't have the contribution of all types of people. We don't necessarily build the kinds of things that are going to best serve all types of people, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, there's countless examples of this, but the one that I always go back to, there's a couple actually. My favorite is, you know, when Sally Ride was first going into space, you like rocket science, so I figure I'll yes, throw this one in for you. Uh, the NASA scientists who were working on prepping her said, we're going to give you for your six-day trip 100 tampons. Is that enough? <laughs> and that is an absolutely ludicrous question. And it just goes to show that like, if there had been a single woman on that team, that probably wouldn't have gone that far, right? Yeah. Um, a more recent example, of course, being something like facial recognition, which works really well if you're right, white and male. And given that 51% of the planet's female, majority of the planet's non-white, that's actually a huge myth, right? So right. I would argue that if the teams building these technologies had been more diverse, it would have been found earlier, right? Like this wouldn't have happened in the first place. Yeah, and, and so, I think we're yeah. it leads it leads to some catastrophic mistakes too. Oh, absolutely, and I mean more diverse companies. I mean, there's a billion statistics around this, right? But um, you know, something like five percent of engineering leadership is female, and that's a ridiculously low number. And there's all sorts of reasons and arguments around why it is and how we can fix it, et cetera. But ultimately, it's about building better products, right? So. Having diversity of thought means having people from diverse backgrounds. And, you know, that's how you build better products. And companies that are more diverse are shown to capture more new market, to be more innovative, and to have higher revenue. So it really is. There's a very basic business reason to do that. Yeah. And and on the flip side, the mistakes that you can introduce by not having that kind of input can be extremely costly as well. Absolutely. Um, so <clears throat> this is Women's History Month. Uh, so I, I was kind of wanted to, I, I, we've kind of had a broad tent here in, in our early discussion here, but I, I want to <laughs> kind of home in on um, women in technology. And, mm-hmm. and you, you mentioned, you know, 5% in engineering, which is, is ridiculously low. And I know leadership. that yeah. in engineering leadership. Yeah. Um, and, and, and we know that there's sort of a, a, a fall off in, in math and science and technology for girls mm-hmm. around that age of 12 and you know, we mm-hmm. see all sorts of challenges and obstacles for, for women in tech and, you know, like in being in tech for years and, and you know, a long time now that I'm getting very old, um, <laughs> I, I've seen sort of the progression of it. And it I, it is very difficult for women. I, I mean, and, and, and people do make it very hard for women to get ahead in mm-hmm. technology. And I've seen it myself. Um you know, could you speak a little bit about, you know, what you see on that front and, and, and what, what, what you think may uh, be some of the drivers for that? Yeah. I mean, I think there's definitely, um, there's a lot of pieces to this, right? Like there's, you know, recruiting and there's education and there's, you know, promotions. And I think, um, there are a few key things that any company can focus on to really, help be more diverse and inclusive. And, you know, just to be clear, diversity is having people from various backgrounds and various walks of life. Inclusion is making it such that your company is a place that anyone from any background can thrive, right? So the reason I distinguish between those two is because you can have diversity, but you may not be inclusive. And I think companies Mm -hmm. struggle with that in particular. And so they've started saying, well, diversity, equality, and 
or equity and inclusion or DEIB, diversity, equity, inclusion and belonging, because it really is about making sure that at every level, at every job, you have people from various backgrounds because you do end up with, you know, there's something called the broken rung of the corporate ladder where it's very hard for women and people of color to break into the management ranks. You know, they, they tend to get to a senior level of individual contributor, and then they don't end up getting promoted at the same rate. Something like two thirds of new promotions are going to people of the same demographic background, which means that you end up with fewer leaders. So um, I think companies need to be aware of all of these things, right? And to start to address them. And it doesn't mean just hire a new you know, chief diversity officer. It means like really making a part of the culture and the fabric of the company, which is what we're trying to do at Starburst. So speak a little bit to that. How how do you go about making that that part of the <laughs> culture of the company? I mean, yeah. obviously, if you've done it with some of the hires you've made, because I know, yeah. you know, one of your coworkers there, Jess uh, Ian Diorio, is it? Yeah. I know yeah. she does a lot of writing mm-hmm. on this, this topic. And yeah. she, I read a piece of hers that said, was talking about the she's not strategic mm-hmm. problem. Um, yep. and, and, and so obviously you have a lot of people there who are kind of thought yep. leaders on this <laughs> and, 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 yeah. and, and engaging the conversation, but, you know, tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, you know, it's, it's about seeing people of color, women, you know, people from these non, non-traditional or non demographically accepted backgrounds as strategic and having the capability to provide really high level influence into a company. And I mean, I think that gets back to the leadership question of like, you know, if you look at the overall diversity of a company, it's one thing, but, you know, for Apple, for example, Apple, you know, is very diverse, but if you look at their leadership levels, the diversity drops off at each level. Mm -hmm. Right. And so, um, you know, I think a lot of that gets back to sponsorship and mentorship. So mentorship being, you know, somebody who helps you advocate for yourself, whereas sponsorship is somebody who will advocate on your behalf. And it's incredibly hard for women and people of color to find sponsors, whereas people from more traditional backgrounds don't have as much trouble. And to really have people sponsor you is key to have people supporting you. You know, I, I had a, a really interesting conversation with somebody um, who's deeply involved in some of these initiatives, and she mentioned uh, the concept of the reverse mentorship, where mm-hmm. you, 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 know, you find, you know, person of color or, you know, a, a marginalized person from a marginalized community, and they mentor the leadership of the company on, you know, how best to, you know, do these mm-hmm. things right and and yeah. and give some perspective yeah i, I mean, I mean it, <laughs> it's interesting but it's kind of like putting the problem back on the person who's already receiving the problem in the first place right like yeah it's not my problem that you don't hire more women it's your problem and so of course i'm obviously happy to help but on the other hand it's like you know, it's, it's another, um, it's a hidden cost on us to have to like also do that in addition to our jobs. <laughs> so I, I mean, I, I, I see the, both the good and the bad on that one. Yeah. It, it's sort of, it's sort of tricky because, yeah. you know, you, it, 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 and, and you know, it's, it's funny. We had, um, Sandy Castro, who I'm, you may not know, but she's, she leads, a. a, a an organization called IC stars and it's inner city computer mm-hmm. stars. And so basically she helps, you know, people, you know, from marginalized communities gain skills to get into a technology position and, and mm-hmm. enter the technology workforce. And she was talking about how she was at a um, conference uh, where Jimmy Carter was the, the key speaker. And it was um, about, I, I think it was about sex trafficking. If I recall the conversation oh. and, and Jimmy Carter said, you all need to go and talk to your husbands. And of course she was like, what are you talking about? I talk to my husbands. It's like, and he's like, look, men control, control this situation. Men are the problem. And if men don't help to participate in addressing this issue, you know, we are not going to solve some of these problems because I mean, the, the people in power are the ones who really ultimately need to change. Right. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so Unless uh, we're all, I suppose, engaging them in, in the, the conversation, you know, we're not going to get to where we need to be, as I, I think what the thought there was. Yeah. 
Yeah, I would agree with that. And I mean, I think educating folks and getting them to be allies is a key piece of this because it's the first step, but it's not the only step. And I think that's the challenge is, you know, you don't want to like, just be like, well, I posted something about Black Lives Matter to Instagram. So we're good. Like racism done. That's not how it works. Right. So, you know, um, yeah, I think there's a lot to it. And being an ally is incredibly important first step. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, you, you speak a little bit to sort of the performative nature of, you know, this conversation and, and, you know, I worry about that with what we're doing here. I mean, I don't want it to be a sort of performative act, but I mean, um, but you know, I'm a white male in in tech and, you know, I'm, I am part of the problem, right? I've Mm -hmm. had two women on out of 34 guests. Um, and in my defense, you're doing better. It's you hard to do better. <laughs> <laughs> I need to do better. I, I do need yeah. to do better. And it and, and in my defense, I mean, it is a little hard to find women represented in, you know, tech sometimes um, I'll give at, you a at list. leadership. <laughs> I'll give you a list. <laughs> yeah, no, I would love a list, actually. Yeah, I, will I mean, absolutely give you a list of people. <laughs> yes. And, and I would love to have them on because I do think it, it, it I do think it matters. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I think, I mean, even from a recruiting standpoint, like I'm hiring, right? come work for us. It's my little spiel. Um, but you know, I'm hiring and for every one person of color, I get, you know, 50 resumes of non people of color. Right. So it's like, I, I feel it too. I very much feel it too, but that just means I have to work harder at recruiting in places that I wouldn't normally recruit. And companies have this issue all the time. If you only hire referrals, you're just gonna get a bunch of people who look the same and think the same and act the same. And again, then you end up with your problems around product, right? <laughs> like that yeah. you end up with a product that just works one way. And so um, it just means that we have more work to do. I have more work to do sourcing candidates from different places, like outside the box, think outside the box of just my LinkedIn network, for example. Yeah, well, and 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 it, I think that the challenge too is it puts us all out of our comfort zone, right? I mean, yeah, um, good. <laughs> having conversation about this is difficult, yeah. you know, and it, and it yeah. it sometimes does like for me come to some yeah. realizations that I need to do better, you know, and that yeah. that is, yeah. but um, better to have the conversation than not. Yeah, right? I mean, change is uncomfortable, but it's also good, right? So, <laughs> right. Yeah. Um. So I, you know. On that front, um, mm-hmm. you know, one of the, you Starburst Data is is a data company, and yep. and I think one of um, the big challenges we see in data is um, how poorly it represents everyone in the world, mm-hmm. um, and um, you know we, we've got we've got too much data and not enough data all at the same time, right? Yeah. And I know you're a, you're kind of a data geek, so. Yeah. Um, I would love to hear your perspective on, on, you know, how representation, you know, impacts data. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, when you think about bias and data, there's there are several different ways it gets introduced, right? Like, you know, I found three main places, I guess. So like from the data itself, from the algorithms that you can introduce, and I mean, we've seen that with like, I think it was... I don't want to say who, I think it was Amazon, but it might not have been. So I apologize if it wasn't, but their recruiting algorithms were, you know, pre-selecting white men or something like that, or male candidates. Um, But so like, you know, from the algorithms themselves, and then also, you know, that's just data. Humans are interpreting the data. So the data can be biased, the algorithms can be biased, and the humans can be biased. So, you know, thinking about the data, it's how is the data collected, you know, survey data is the easiest data to bias, right? Like any any data where you're asking people for their human behavior and you're selecting a group of people, you know, you're going to end up with like selection bias and confirmation bias where you're like sampling the data incorrectly or you're using data to just prove your pre-derived assumptions, right? Um, the algorithms, like I said, can be, can amplify those biases, but they can also find for false correlations, like algorithms aren't thinking, right? Like we call it machine learning. They're not actually learning. They're doing what we tell them to do. Um, And so then that brings us to the third one, which is the human bias where we're interpreting things and we're bringing our own experiences and bias to that. So I think being aware of that, again, the first step is 
acknowledging you have a problem. Um, but then also, if you have a diverse group of people doing the algorithms and collecting the data and making the inferences out of those results of the algorithms, then you'll have people, you know, if you have people from a variety of backgrounds, they'll be able to work together, which will inherently eliminate some of that bias. Yeah, I mean, it's, um, you know, it's funny because I, you know, I'm aware of bias in mm -hmm. in the things that I look at and do and how I mm -hmm. introduce bias. And, and even being aware of it, I notice that I can't overcome it. Um, yeah. so this is a really, uh, challenging problem. And, you know, you mentioned AIML and, um, some of the biases that are just sort of inherent to, to doing that. Um, and I, I, you know, like part of it is like, you know, we're building these AIs that, that have built in bias, but on the other hand, in some regards, AI is the tool that we're using to help us try to ferret out some some of that bias right it's yeah. it's it's like it's like beer it's the the cause of and the solution to all my problems right <laughs> so Fair. i i mean yeah. what, what what how do you think we get past this bias issue i mean i think everyone is biased right there is not a single person on this planet who does not have biases and you know you're never going to be conscious of all your biases but trying to be is the first step and then like i said like having a diverse group of people building your products means that in some ways, maybe their biases will cancel each other out or they can call each other out on biases. But I think that's really the trick is having that diversity of thought and diversity of voice when it comes to anything you're doing, like whether it be leadership or writing machine learning models, right? Well, and, and, and data is a complex topic right yeah. um and one of the things <laughs> that we've we've seen i mean like so my, my sister is a phd in uh statistical sociology right so nice. she's a she's a stats and data geek too so you know that's why it. it's all close <laughs> to my heart um but you know like when we talk about data and how to process and analyze data i mean there's like there's so much complexity to it. And I think, well, you know, here's somebody who's got a PhD. Here's you who's got a PhD. Not everybody can go and get a PhD in data scientists or astrophysics <laughs> yeah. and, and you know, like kind of come in and try to solve for these problems. So, you know, out and especially outside of major markets, finding people who have the expertise and knowledge to sort of even start to address these issues yeah. is a real challenge. So I worry that there's just not or ever going to be enough people to really address this problem. I mean, what, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, <laughs> that may be true, but we, we have to try, right? right? We have to try. We have to, I mean, this is why I talk to young women about science and math. And I, you know, lecture the girl, the seven-year-old girl across the street about how cool math is because I'm <laughs> trying to influence her. Um, but, you know, I, I mean, I think that especially those of us who are you know, a woman director of engineering, right? Like I have to get out there and talk to people and show them that there is someone who looks like them and thinks like them who can do this job. And there's no reason they can't either. Right. So I think, you know, we just have to keep trying and it will get better. And I think things have gotten better. I mean, past 50 years, things have certainly changed. Yeah. I, I, and, and I think that that's a great perspective because I think a lot of times when we have these conversations, everything is doom and, and gloom. And I'm, I'm sure you're probably familiar with Hans Rosling, who I, I, I adore. And um, he wrote that book, Factfulness, which I think was really helpful to me because he's like, look, things are getting better. It's OK. It's going to be OK. Things are trending into the in the right direction. We got a lot to fix, but things are trending in the right direction. Um, so. You know, working for Starburst Data, mm -hmm. um, I think you guys are doing something that's really interesting. And, and um, you know, we we talked with, uh, you know, Justin Borgman, your your co-founder and, and CEO of the company a couple days ago. And, um, you know, he was talking about sort of, you know, the data anywhere kind of aspect mm -hmm. of, of Starburst and what, you, yeah. what you're doing. And I think, you know, one of the one of the ways that we address some of this problem, you guys are kind of attacking some of the fundamental problems of what we're talking about. One is like the access to a breadth of mm -hmm. data and integration of data that's going to give us better insights and, and, and predictive models. Mm -hmm. um, but also the ability to clean and parse some of that data so you're you're making it more actionable, more usable before you're even doing the analytics on it, right? Mm -hmm. um, 
So, I mean, could you could you kind of speak to sort of the the mission of what you guys are doing and some of the the things that you're 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 taking on here? Yeah, um, data obviously is growing out of control. <laughs> the data sprawl is real, um, and so as these data volumes are growing just exponentially into astronomical volumes, you know, it the data itself is becoming increasingly diverse, right? And so that really accentuates the need to be more nimble and keep the time to value of data to a minimum. So basically what I mean by that is the distance between the data and the value from the data, we need to keep as short and efficient as possible. And so I have worked for companies where I've built these like incredibly complex data pipelines where you're moving data, you know, around the world and, you know, building these living, breathing pipelines that if they break, you know, the models go down and everything is broken. Um, but, you know, after years of doing that, I kept thinking there's got to be a better way. And so I learned about Presto and I was like, I'm interested in that. Um, and so when I came to Starburst, I was very excited because I do feel like we're taking that like modern data stack paradigm and flipping it on its head and focusing on like, what is really the business value here, which is the ability to make data-driven decisions and really focus on providing the data to the business as fast as possible without all the malarkey of like, oh, well, I was going to use data to make this decision, but the pipeline broke, which I've seen happen, right? So um, I, I think that, you know, there is a diversity story there too, that just like making sure people can get the data that they need and making it accessible you know, our tagline is analytics anywhere because it really is about, you know, whether the data is in a mainframe or data center or it's in the cloud in, you know, some Oracle or Parquet storage, right? Like you want to be able to get it and combine data from these different sources without having to build a complex pipeline. And, you know, so I think that's really what our company is focusing on. And I, I think it's an incredible journey. Yeah, I, I think, um, you know, I was I was you guys had some white papers on, on your, on your, uh, website. And, and I, there's one, um, that I was reading about sort of the state of data from 2021 or something, but there's something interesting that sort of jumped out at me in there that I, I think I'm seeing personally. And I think it's a really interesting piece of it is I, it said 51% of respondents indicated having data in five or more different platforms, uh, which is, is obviously a big increase, but mm -hmm. what I'm actually seeing is way more than five platforms. Mm -hmm. I'm seeing, and and when you take into consideration the expansion of SaaS and all the data that's living there, I mean, mm -hmm. we had one customer <clears throat> that's uh, we were talking to them. They they're like, oh, we have about two thousand different SaaS platforms that we're working with. Wow. And I uh, a week or so ago, I talked to another customer who said they have calculated they have over twelve thousand different SaaS applications that they're using. <laughs> I mean, think about wow. that, right? I mean, you talk right. about data sprawl. I mean, I, I mean, yeah. I don't even know how you get to twelve thousand, but like, you know, you it's a very count? large corporation, <laughs> yeah. right? So, yeah. I, I, I get it. But, but wow, that's a lot of data living in a lot of different places. Yeah. That's that's really completing yeah. the picture of what you're going to do. Mm -hmm. So, I, I think you know this yeah. data enrichment piece that you're talking about is really really interesting. Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, and I think um, you know, not all twelve thousand data sources are going to be the things that your exact team is using to make their decisions about the direction of the company. But being able to figure out like what are the questions that people are asking, that is really what it gets down to, right? Like what are the questions people are asking that need to be data driven, right? Like how are we calculating X, Y, and Z? And making sure that that is a repeatable, robust, reliable calculation and that you can tweak it as needed, you know, that it's, that's actually a very challenging thing for most companies. And so being able to like reduce that time to value for data is just so important. Yeah. And I, and I think, um, you know, in addition to all those, those data sources that a company might itself be generating, you know, mm -hmm. there's external data sources that you have to start integrating, right? If you really, yeah. especially when you're getting into the machine learning and deep learning world, um, you really need to draw from a lot of disparate sources to to flush yeah. out that that data picture. Um, what do you, what do you guys do around like helping people? You know, you've got this whole data pipeline. You know that you can manipulate and and adjust and funnel data to different sources and things like that. I mean, 
can you talk about how how that the data enrichment piece and 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 sort of moving the data to where it needs to be, you know, like how how that's mm-hmm. very beneficial to, you know, getting to those conclusions. Yeah. And I mean, I think there's there's data that you have to replicate because you need to push it into a data lake or a data warehouse, but then there's data that you have to replicate because it's you have to move it out of whatever third party source it's in, right? And so the idea of being able to join those two things together and then bring in legacy data or, you know, cold storage or whatever you have, being able to just like, you know, refer to a data catalog wherever it lives is really, you know, that agility around extraction of data is what you need. And so you don't want to have long, complex pipelines where, you know, it takes two weeks for a data engineer to even get you, you know, a test version of the data, right? You want to just be able to point at it and call it a day. And so um, so that's really what Starburst is enabling, is the ability to just, like, not necessarily even have to replicate your data, right? Like, no, you, don't, you won't necessarily even need ETL. Yeah, I, I think that's that's interesting. You know, like because uh, we talk about data lakes, but you know, a lot of data lakes are <laughs> data sinkholes or or data black holes, right? So Swamps. For the astro- oh yeah. Data, data swamp or data black hole. Let's go with data black hole. <laughs> yeah. Like um, to keep with the astrophysics theme. Yeah. Um, and 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 and, and, and you know, like in that regard, I think we're sort of you know just sort of teasing at the things that sort of linger about the event horizon that sort of <laughs> you know have that are busting out you know high energy you know um you know they they look very attractive because they're easiest to get at right and and you're like getting to the the core of that and 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 leaving the data in the data like that's more actionable by an organization i can see have tremendous value absolutely yeah so um you know in addition to this i mean we've seen just uh, this huge amount of data data silos there's this exponential organic growth of data and 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 we've talked about how data sort of feeds on itself so we've kind of got like this sort of malthusian distribution where we've got data sort of growing exponentially and our our ability to interpret and analyze and 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 refine it is is maybe not entirely linear i would say that you know as we make innovation we kind of you know hockey stick up for a bit and then kind of you know return (laughs) to linearity um how 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 do you envision getting you know like getting caught up to that curve or is it important i i do think it's very important and i think that the there's this term the modern data stack which i don't love because i don't think it's particularly modern but you know the idea of data coming from some transactional system or whether third-party SaaS or mainframe or whatever you have um data coming from that system needs to be copied somewhere transformed, loaded somewhere, transformed like ETLT, wherever the T goes, you know, and then it can be curated and ready for analytics. Like there's a lot of steps along the way there. And that paradigm and that movement of data, it came from 15 years ago where that was the way hardware led us, right? Like you couldn't keep the data at the source because you would affect performance and you couldn't, pull the data together in memory because the machines didn't have as, enough memory. So, right? so like, I feel like we need to move away from that in a way. And so there's a lot of like managed services and cloud infrastructures that has gotten us away from a lot, a lot of that. And that's fantastic. But even just the overall paradigm of having to replicate your data and having to copy it and pull it all together before you can do analytics on it or before you can even start exploring it. I think we need to get away from that. And so I, that's why I'm at Starburst, right? It's like, I want to solve the problems and stop looking backwards at what we've been doing and let's start looking forwards at what are the problems we really want to solve. Yeah, because I, I mean, you mentioned earlier that, you know, the data that we're working with is largely white American males. Um, and, you know, there's, there's you know, nine, nine, nine and a half billion other people on the planet that are yeah. not being entirely represented or eight and a half billion, I would suppose, probably a better yeah. number. But um, so there's obviously a lot more data about to hit us. Yeah. Um, and, and I think one of the things that you guys are doing that's interesting is the ability to take real-time data and integrate stored data and saved data and historical data into that feed and produce, you know, richer, richer data mm-hmm. sources. 
you talk about yeah. that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that that's another thing that's only going to get more more significant going forward is that, you know, everybody's got 12,000 SaaS platforms that they're collecting data from. And, you know, if you can combine real time with legacy, you can really exponentially advance your knowledge of what's going on in your company because you can start looking at trends. You can start looking at where you're going. And that gets into sort of like the predictive and prescriptive side of analytics of like, how do we turn turn the ship by, you know, adding data in? Sorry, I'm not trying to refer to what's going on with the Suez Canal right now, but... <laughs> um, very timely, though. Yeah, very timely. Um, so, but I would say that, um, you know, the rate of data production is just, you know, exponentially growing, right? And so it's accelerating. And um, companies need to stop looking at what we've traditionally done and start looking forward at, you know making sure they're leaving their options open for the future, that they're not getting locked into vendors, that they're using extensible formats for data that can not only be combined with legacy data, but that can be combined with some format that we don't even know about yet, right? Like really just leaving their options open. And I think that's key. Yeah. Um, so, you know, one of the other things that um, I'm seeing uh, on the rise, I mean, you know, obviously we're, we're, we're processing a lot of data and people, people, organizations are increasingly becoming data driven. Um, and, you know, we, we kind of spoke a little bit to this earlier, but um, the this, this sort of appropriate governance around our data, I mean, because there's a lot of issues with it, right? I mean, just yeah. from a regulatory <laughs> and compliance perspective. Um, but even, you know, like what are we building, you know, from an ML, you know, perspective, uh, you know, what, you know, we, we're seeing the rise of ethics review boards and, 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 and things like that. Um, how do you, how do you think this is all going to play out? You know, how, do, how does that all play out in, in companies going forward? Do you think that's kind of a big question to ask, but that is a big question. <laughs> I like it though. Um, I definitely think that the more data we have, the more times we're going to see this happen, that we're going to start to say, like, how how much are we being tracked? How much are we being pandered to based on the data that they have for us? Whatever they is, right? Whether it's, right. you know, a social media company or a grocery store or your doctor, right? Like, how, how can we really trust what we're being told? And it all gets back to trust in data because you know, you have to have faith in the data. But then again, like, I don't have faith in a company necessarily the same <laughs> way I do in facts, which is what data is. So um, I definitely think that there's, um, we're going to see more and more of that. And the capability of companies to use data um, responsibly is going to be really interesting going forward. Yeah, I, I think that's that's going to be a challenging, challenging piece of it. And as you sort of alluded to, you know, there are... Um, we we talk about all this data sprawl, you know, in in, in the world, but um, there's also the aspect that some of this data is, you know, cloistered. It's it's being held mm-hmm. tightly by private corporations that have probably more information about us than anybody in our lives, you know. And and what does that what does that mean? Yeah. Right. Yeah, I mean, I go back and forth on this too, right? Like I have children, and I'm like, what's out there about them? You know, I'm very private about that, and so it's um. You know, it's scary in some ways thinking about all the data. Then you sort of step back and you're like, well, I'm a, I'm a reasonable person. Like, what could possibly be out there about me? But it is about privacy. And I think um, having, you know, we've got CCPA now where you've got the right to be forgotten and the right to demand that, you know, you get rid of your data about me. Right. And I think that that is a really interesting piece of legislation that I don't think that's the last time we've seen something like that come out. So that's an interesting thing too. And that's another reason you need something where you can search all of your data to make sure that you've forgotten someone and be able to prove that you've done that. So, yeah, I I think that's tricky though. I, you know, from, you know, what does that entirely mean? Is that only data that's associated with your name or your social security number? Or is that data that could be de-anonymized about you too, right? I mean, yeah, they can, any any company could be de-anonymizing data, but then if it can't be traced back to you, are you still worried about it? Yeah, but the data's still Maybe. there, right? So that whole, <laughs> that whole right there, to yeah. be forgotten, you know, that, it, you know, and, and, and you look at, I mean, it, it, there's in the security space, there's sort of that, that, that 
you know, problem with encryption, right? We, we mm -hmm. know that there's certain three-letter agencies out there that are building huge data centers to store an enormous amount of encrypted data that they can't today decrypt. Yeah. Right, you know, so yeah. just because something is what it is today doesn't necessarily yeah. mean that in the future it's not going to be something dangerous, right? True. True. And I think you know we, we yeah. talk about the kids. Kids have a different relationship to data now yeah, than we do. They do. Yeah. And they're they're more free with it. Yeah. You know. True. And it, I mean that terrifies me, but you know, it, you know. it, it is a little. I, it scary. probably ter terrifies every parent, right? Like what's out there, so. But on the other hand, maybe they're, you know, we, you know, they're going to run the world in a little bit. So maybe we should look to them as to what we should, you know, how we should relate yeah. to each other in this. Because ultimately yeah. that's what it's about, how we relate yeah. to the information that we get about somebody. How do we, you know, interact with that and interact and, and how do we, yeah. you know, relate that to the person that's being talked about? Yeah, true. Without that interpretive layer, it's all just ones and zeros, right? Yeah, we, we are, uh, it, it's a bit of a challenging, challenging uh, environment. Yeah. So, so tell me, um, you know, it's, so, you know, we, we've been talking a little bit about, you know, uh, Starburst data and, and some of the cool things that you guys are doing mm -hmm. on that front. Um, tell me, like, where do you see your, like, key use cases, differentiators, you know, tell me a little bit about, you know, the company yeah. from that perspective. Um, so I alluded to this a little bit already, but it's really about how to get business value out of data in the most reliable, efficient way possible. And so really like understanding how quickly value can be extracted from data, but also being able to repeat those measurements. Um, and so, you know, I think the fact that Starburst Enterprise runs on data anywhere, it's in the cloud, it's on-prem, it's across hybrid and multi-cloud environments, and in any system, like whether it's a data warehouse or data lake or lake house or whatever you have, you know, or a source system, like the fact that it can run anywhere is really powerful. Um, and, you know, we're now available on all the major clouds. And so you can like really just get going and start analyzing your data very quickly without having to build out an entire, you know, infrastructure and pipelines and all that good stuff. Um, and just a little sneak peek, my team is working on something called Starburst Galaxy, which is a managed service offering of Starburst Enterprise. And so it's going to oh, make cool. it even faster, right? So like your time to value for data could be in the on the order of hours as opposed to days or weeks, right? So um, we're really excited about that. That's in early access right now. Oh, that's cool. Um, and, and that sort of was going to be my next question there is, you know, like yeah. what, what's what's coming up for you guys? Yeah, no. Um, so definitely on the enterprise side, it's things like, you know, faster data lake capabilities, multi-cloud, hybrid cloud analytics. So really like, you know, if you have some data in GCP, some data in a data center and something else in Azure, you can go cross cloud, right? Like that hybrid cloud analytics, right? And I think for larger corporations, that's incredibly essential. Um, we're also working on like more security, more data governance solutions so that, you know, we can really provide secure access to data wherever it is. And then Starburst would be your single point of access for all of your data. And then, you know, obviously I'm partial to the things my team is building, but the Starburst Galaxy is going to just, you know, it's going to be like the most important piece of software ever. That's all. So <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Well, I mean, I, I, I love the idea of getting more access to, to data. You know, we, we just talked about encryption and this is totally aside now, but yeah. I'm, I'm like losing the plot. Um, but, <laughs> uh, you know, one of the concepts that always intrigues me is homomorphic encryption mm -hmm. and, and like the ability to make changes on encrypted data without actually decrypting the data and exposing yeah. the data. Is that ever anything that's going to be on your radar? You know, we've talked about it. I don't know that it's on the roadmap, but it's definitely something we've chatted about. So that could yeah. be a cool product. It's interesting. I mean, it's an yeah. interesting. Yeah. I mean, especially since question. for the way that your product works, <laughs> that ability would be really, really uh, compelling, I would think. Obviously, we've learned, Colleen, from you that Starburst is a different company. Mm -hmm. You're just not just from the culture, you know, the market you're going after, everything else. But what I also found interesting is you guys are an East Coast-based mm -hmm. company, and uh, you see a lot of startups happening out of the valley, mm -hmm. right? And so people just kind of associate the valley, uh, you know, as the place for all technology, right? So what what has that 
uh, journey been like for you guys? You know, uh, I don't know if you've worked with Silicon Valley companies in the past, but what is it like trying to be a uh, technology company in Boston? Um, well, we're definitely not lonely. We have a lot of big startups here <laughs> and a lot of big companies, so it's not like we're alone here. Sure. Um, and I've definitely worked with right, companies right. in the Valley. Actually, our investors, most of them are out in the Valley. So, um, you know, yeah. I think we're definitely making a splash East Coast and West Coast, which I like to like to think about. Um, yeah, but, you know, awesome. the founders of who wrote Presto, the original creators of Presto work for Starburst now, and they're all um, ex-Facebook. So they're here now. But, you know, we will be having, you know, a Palo Alto office or something like that, I'm sure, when, you know, things get back to the new normal. Um, but, yeah, we're, we're definitely uh, we're we're everywhere. We're analytics everywhere. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But, you know, I've, I've lived um, in New England my whole life. And so for me, you know, this is, you know, I definitely see us um, as sort of like the East Coast version of Silicon Valley here in Boston. And, you know, there's definitely tons of startups around. Well, before there was Silicon yeah, Valley, there that's... was there was Boston, right? Yep, the so. 128 loop. Right. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Exactly. And that's, you know, so I'm born and raised Chicago. Mm -hmm. So is uh, Chris. And uh, I straight out of college, I went to the Valley for four years, and then I moved to Chicago. And I and I just the one thing for sure is that Chicago st and still is. We were a few years behind mm -hmm. um, Silicon Valley. So one of the some of the things that Chris and I've talked about, you know, some of our like audacious big dreaming goals is that you know we want Chicago to be a technology hub. Mm -hmm. We have great schools here. You got Northwestern, University of Chicago. You know, you got great transportation. It's a it's a great culture for young people. Yeah. You know. Um, it's just, we've, we've been more in this manufacturing and yeah. finance and that Fast kind follower. of, you know, um, the jungle. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> jungle, yeah. Yeah. Hopefully not like that yeah. anymore. No. Yeah. <laughs> I would hope not. Yeah. 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 But that's great. I, you know, I wish you guys the best of luck with that. Cause I think, uh, you know, technology is obviously the future of our, of, of, of the, of the world. And the more and more cities and areas that we have, the more diversity that we yeah. have, you know, you know, yeah. just outside of just this one little area of Silicon Valley, <laughs> yeah. right? And then there's all of us. Yeah. So. Well, I would also uh, so, say yeah, um, the pandemic has changed things, right? Like Starburst yeah. is a hybrid company. We there is a Boston office. There will be a San Francisco office. We have an office in Warsaw, Poland. Mm. I have people on my team from all over the world, right? Like I just hired someone in Brazil. I have somebody in Panama. Somebody in London. You know, like. I can hire anywhere now and it's much more accepted than it was 18 months ago to be like, Oh, this person's in North Carolina, no big deal. Right. And so I think that really opens the doors to a more diverse workforce. And it really allows you to look for people with the right technical skill sets, but with different backgrounds. And that gives you that capability to really up the diversity of thought of your team. Yeah, that I think yeah. that's a, a really interesting um, benefit that's come out of out of all of this is is the the ability to access talent wherever it is. Mm -hmm. um, although one of the things that we get reminded of is that um, you know tech that the ability to participate at that level is not uniform across the globe, right? Mm -hmm. You know, the yeah. ability to access the technology to do that um, is is limited for some people. So it's mm -hmm. it's a it's. As much as it's um, democratizing some of that, it's still yeah. not quite enough, unfortunately. Yeah, we're not quite there, but we're getting there. We're getting closer anyway. You know, you you've taught you talked about in the podcast about how just how hard this conversation is and these conversations, whether yeah. it be about women in tech or racism or you know politics or whatever. There's so much division in our world these yeah. days. You know, we're 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 just. As much as we're all human beings and we're all yeah. the same, we for some reason like to create divide with each other, and I just don't really understand that at all. Yeah, you know, in all different ways, you know. But it is hard conversations, yeah. and I and for me personally, you know, I'm I'm dipping my toe into the conversations. You know, I'll go to Chris and say, you know, how do we handle this? Yeah. Like, how do like get, I need some tools? You know, yeah. I need some education here yeah. because I want to have the conversations, but. I don't know if I have all the tools that I need mm -hmm. to have them. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Um, yeah. So. I mean, I, I, when I'm in situations like that, I tend to just jump right in and maybe that's not the best tactic, but you know, I'm like, Hey, let's talk about it. Because if it's uncomfortable, you know, maybe you can get to a place of comfort by having the conversation. So yeah, exactly. that's what I tend to do, but yeah. 
Yeah. And it's interesting because when you ha- when you get in those conversations, you know, minds change. Yeah. And like for me personally, you know, there, there's been times where I've gone to Chris and been like, here's a scenario, right? Does that mean that I'm racist? You know, like, what does that mean? Yeah. You know, and then we would talk yeah. about it, you yeah. know, and I, and I, and then I finally understood what Chris was trying to tell me and explain to me. And now I feel better about having some of these conversations. Yeah. Um, so I was just gonna say, like, there's so much going on in the world. And, you know, it's not just about like data and databases. It's about there's a lot of data coming at us at all times. You know, like I've got my Twitter thing on my watch and, you know, like I've just got like information coming at all times. It's a different world, right? Like things have changed. And, you know, we have to try to t- sort through that data. It's the same thing our computers are doing, right? We're trying to sort through that data and get value out of it and figure out, you know, what's important to us and what can make us happy and good people. So, so, so Colleen, uh, thanks so much for coming on and uh, in, in uppering our number to three, um, you know, which is, <laughs> is not great, but it's a start, right? Um, 50% and, higher. <laughs> Yes, it is. Well, they, they, that you're doing the math because I'm not. I'm not the most <laughs> most mathletic, so I appreciate that. Um, but but no, really, honestly, thank you for such a, a great, um, insightful uh, conversation. I I look forward to having more conversations with you in the future. Uh, I really um, want to applaud you guys for not just you know the the work you're doing on the product that you're you're building, which is pretty cool. Uh, but the culture of the company as well. And, uh, you know, who knows, maybe you'll get a few more resumes after, after all this. (laughs) (laughs) So thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks so much for being on. This has been super fun. Thanks, Chris. Yeah, it's been fun. Thanks for watching. If you like what you saw, click on that like button, hit the subscribe button, because that helps the channel a ton. And if you want to get notified when we post new content, click on that bell icon and you will be notified. And I will see you in the next video.